Good morning. It's good to see the audience here this, this morning. Have, have a good audience, and we pray that you've been uplifted by the singing and the praying and worshiping together this morning. We pray that you would continue to be uplifted by the rest of the service this morning. This morning we're going to talk about uh, walking uh, with God. We're going to talk about, and I know sometimes we, we may hear this and go, well, you know, that's that's a pretty simple principle. And the Bible uses words to describe our life, and that's what we're talking about when we say our walk with God. A lot of times in the Bible, it uses other phrases. For example, Hebrews 12 and verse 1, it says, run with patience the race that is set before us. Well, it talks about running. And, uh, you know, there's sometimes we feel like life is a race, and we're just going all the time and running and and it's just, uh, we have to run with patience or the endurance to do that. Sometimes the word uh, tells us that we need to fight the good fight of faith, as Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. And sometimes our life feels like a fight. And that we're struggling all the time, but he says fight that good fight. Also in 1 Timothy, it's, it talks about warring a good warfare. And, uh, you know, I, I felt like in the last, well, the first six months of this year that we've been in warfare. And uh, sometimes we need to fight or war a good warfare. In other words, we need to follow God and use his, his sword of the Spirit to fight that good that warfare. Well, this morning we're going to talk about our walk. And walking simply means how we go through life. It's, uh, you know, uh, when we're born uh, till the day we die, we're going to walk through this life. And so there's a way that God expects us to walk uh, when we live this life. First Thessalonians 4, verse 1, it says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. And so here we're talking about the principle of how we ought to walk and to please God. So the way we live and the way we walk through this life has something to do with pleasing God. We need to walk and live according to the will of God. And he says this is how we ought to. Now that word is King James. Uh, I'm reading out of the King James. The word ought means that which is necessary. So this is not just a good suggestion. It's what he's saying is you need to necessarily walk in a way that pleases God. Uh, and I know in our modern English, we use the word ought as, well, this is what you ought to do, but it's a suggestion. Well, in the King James here, it's a necessity. It's, it's necessary that you ought to do this. This is what God expects of you in walking and pleasing God. So let's talk about some ways that we can walk and please God. We need to walk with God, first of all. And that infers to us that there's a companionship that goes along with God. It infers walking with him. Now then, in Genesis 5, verse 21, it says, And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, when it talks about walking with God, it's talking about Enoch walked in a companionship with God. He walked 
following God's direction and obeying God and being pleasing to God. And his life, and it describes here as he walks with God, infers that he lived a life that was pleasing to God. And so much so that Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. What that meant was God took him out of this world. He didn't see death as, as we might see in our, uh, at the end of our days, but God took him, changed him, and took him uh, out of this world. Wow, it must be something to be able to walk with God in such a way that God's pleased with you to take you out of this world and the turmoil in this world and to keep you from seeing death that way. He must have pleased God. He must have walked in a way that was pleasing to God. And I believe in Hebrews 11, verse 5, we see the answer to that. By faith, Enoch was translated. That's what we talk about, change. He was translated out of the world. That he should not see death and was, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, we're always hearing the word testimony, somebody giving a testimony. Well, Enoch had a testimony that he walked with God in so much so that he pleased God and God translated him out of this world. When we walk, we need to walk with God. We need to walk in such a way that pleases God. We need to walk in a, in a way that's a companionship with God. Now, the Bible talks in Amos chapter 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? This passage is brought up from time to time, but I want us to think about it a moment. We can't walk together unless we're agreed. Now then, you, you may not uh, agree on everything that I, that I agree, that I believe. There may be some differences as we discuss things in this world and maybe even scriptures that we discuss that we, we're not quite together on yet, but, but we can walk together if we're in agreement in that we're going to walk together. For example, if my wife and I decide to go walking for exercise and we go out of the house and down to the end of the driveway, there's got to be a decision made at that point which way we're going. <laughs> if I turn to the left and she turns to the right, we're not walking together. There's got to be some agreement that we walk in the same direction. Now, here's how we feel a lot of times in the world today when it comes to walking with God. God, I'm going to walk the way I want to, and I'm going down this road, and I expect you to be with me. That's our idea of walking with God. We're going to do what we want to do, and we expect God to be there. And I firmly believe that the religious world is taught in such a way that God will never leave you or forsake you, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And I believe that's why people hate God so much. It's because we live a life of sin, and we go out and do what we want to do, and when our life is a wreck, then we look up and say, God, where are you? Because somebody told us that God would be there. And God has never said that he would walk in those ways. We've got to come to an agreement with God. That is, if we're going to walk with God, we've got to go his direction. We can't go and do what we want to do and expect God to walk with us. God says, walk with me. 
So I've got to walk in the direction that God is going. I've got to find out what his will is and what his purpose is, and I've got to go that direction. If I want to walk with God, I've got to agree with God to go his way. So is there a point where God will not walk with us? And the answer is yes. In Leviticus 26, beginning in verse 21, God spoke to his people. And he said this, If you walk contrary to me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you which shall rob you of your children and destroy your cattle and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. And if you will not be reformed by me by these things, but will walk contrary unto me, then will I also walk contrary unto you and will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you and shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. And when you are gathered together with your city, within your cities, I will set pestilence among you and you shall be delivered unto the hands of the enemy. Now, he's talking to his people. He's not talking to just the the pagans of the world. He's talking to the children of Israel. And he says, if you walk contrary to me, that means opposite. If you decide to go this way, when God's going this way, God says there's a quarrel in our covenant. That agreement we talked about, we've got to agree to walk with God. When we agree to walk with God, there's a covenant that we're going to go in his direction. But if we walk contrary to that, there's a quarrel in the covenant. And he says, there's going to be some things take place. There's going to be some punishment, some some discipline. And he says, then I expect you to be reformed. That means repent. That means change. That means come back my direction. And he says, then if you won't do that, then there's going to be a final destruction. There is a point where God will not walk with us. If we choose to live a life in the world, God's not going to go down those directions, down those alleys. In chapter 13 of Hebrews, this this passage of Scripture is often used And it says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake thee. And often we hear this verse read and it's read, I will never leave you or leave you or forsake you. And that's all we hear. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And people build their life on the fact that God's going to be with them even when they walk down the dark alleys. And that's not what this verse teaches. Matter of fact, if you back up in the context of the Scripture, uh, in beginning in Hebrews chapter, no, excuse me. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, it says that our God is a consuming fire, that we need to worship him acceptably or serve him acceptably. And then he lays out in the next verse, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, that we as children of God must live in love. In verse 2 of chapter 13, we must show hospitality. In verse 3, we have to show sympathy towards our brethren who are suffering. And it talks about those who are in bonds there. In verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 
uh, 13. It says that we must live in moral purity, and it talks about the marriage bed is undefiled. And then in verse 5, here, he finishes that thought with contentment as a child of God. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have, for he saith, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now this never leaving nor forsaking us is conditioned upon us living according to his will and following and walking with him in these things. If we're going to go out and live in a worldly way, an ungodly way, God doesn't promise to be with us and never leave us. God wants us to walk with him. Now then, someone says, well, I don't, I'm not sure about that. Let's look in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, and you'll remember the story of the prodigal son. It says, and he, and he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto him his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted the substance with righteous living. And when he had spent all, he arose, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into the, his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants in my father's house have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger." Now then, as this young man decided to take his living or the portion of goods that his father gave him, the blessings from his father, and he goes out and lives in a riotous way. And by the way, the word riotous there means in an unsaved manner. In other words, he lived in a way that had no, no relevance with God at all. He lived in an ungodly way. And he squandered all that he had, and he found himself in this pig pen. The question I want to ask is, where is the father? The father's at the house. The father didn't walk down the pig pen. The father stayed at the house. In this story, the father represents God. The Father represents God in this story. God is not going to walk. If you choose to live in an ungodly way, he is not going to walk with you in those ways. He wants you to walk with him, and he's going the other direction. God doesn't walk in iniquity. He doesn't walk in sinful behavior. And this is why I say I believe people have been taught so, so uh, out of context that God will never leave you nor forsake you that when people live in an ungodly way and their life is in a wreck, they look up and say, God, where are you? And they begin to hate God because they've been told that God would never leave them. And now they can't find God. But they chose to live in an ungodly way. We ought to walk. It's necessary to walk with God. We have to walk in his direction. Number two, we need to walk after God. We need to walk after God. And when I say after God, I'm not talking about right behind him. You know, we might sing a song about following in his steps or 
talk about following the steps of Jesus, and we need to do that. But when, when I say after God, I'm not talking about behind him. What I'm talking about when it says after God, it means to chase after God. It means to seek God, to have a desire that you're going to, to go after God, to aspire to attain him is, is what the word is defined. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 4, it says, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and cleave unto him. And I think the word cleave there gives us an idea of what it's talking about. Cleaving to him means desiring him so much that you're going to hold on to him, not to let him go. And so when we talk about walking after God, it says, if someone left this audience in a rage and we said, go after them, go after them. That means chase after them or, or catch them so that we can fix the problem. And so when it talks about walking after God, it's talking about seeking God or going after God. And we need to live in such a way that our life is going after God or seeking him. In Psalms 42 and verse 1, it says, As the heart panteth after the, the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? And the idea of this walking after God or chasing after God is expressed in here in the desire that this animal had for water panteth after the water. It thirsted after water. It, it desired water. And when we are so thirsty, we'll seek out water. Just like this, this deer, this, this heart. And he goes on to say, my soul thirsteth for God. Do you feel that way about your God? That you thirst for him? That you desire to seek him? That you'll chase after him? A lot of times we just take for granted that God is and that we go on and do what we want to do. You know, like this morning, we may have thought, well, I've got to go to church. Instead of going, man, I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to worship God. I can't wait to sing songs of praise to him. I can't wait to hear his word being taught so that I can grow. That's seeking God. A lot of times we put ourselves in the place of God. That we're the important ones and that any leftover time, then we'll give it to God. If I have some spare time, I'll let him have it. That's not seeking God. Seeking God is to put him first, that he's in our thought, that he's in our minds. Psalms 27 verse 4, one thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, and that's the that's the thought of walking after God, seeking after him. That means to look seriously. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to acquire in his temple, for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. You know, someone that lives in the world that has trouble in life, it's going to have a harder time with it. Those who seek after God are going to have an anchor for their soul. And it's not to say you won't have trouble in life, but you'll have an anchor to keep you 
steady when those troubles do happen. And troubles are going to happen. But where are you going to turn to when those troubles happen? If we're a child of God, if, we've, if we're seeking God, then he's our rock. Then he'll keep us close to him. In the time of trouble, he will hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. So we're going to have a, a, a place of safety when we go to those, when we face those times of trouble. In Matthew 6, verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The word seek ye or seek there means to acquire, to search out for. When I think about the word seek, I think when I was a kid, we'd lose something in the room and we'd tell mom, mom, I can't find it. And she'd go, did you look for it? And I'd go, yeah, I looked for it. But you know, you'd open the door to the bedroom and you'd just kind of look and couldn't see it. And she'd go, you have to hunt for it. <laughs> that means I had to get under the bed or in the closet and dig out all, you know, move the dirty clothes. And that's seeking. And if I wanted something so bad that it took me to seek it, that means I really wanted it. I would search for it all day. I'd hunt for it under every magazine. I would lift, I'd look under all the couches. That's seeking. And that's the attitude we need to have toward our God, that we want to seek God in everything. We want to seek his will. We want to be with him as a companion, walking with him, that he's the foremost in our desire. That's walking after God. Now then, number three, we need to walk before God. We need to walk before God. We need to walk with God in his direction, as a companion. We need to walk after God, seeking him. We need to walk before him. In Genesis 17, verse 1, Abram was 90 years old and 90. The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Walk before me and be thou perfect. The phrase here is defined as inspection. In other words, God wants you to come before him so that he can admire you, that he can inspect you. And it's much like a parent with a child. You know, uh, a, parent, a mother tells their children, go get dressed. Go get dressed for church. In a few minutes, you'll hear mom say, are you ready? And the child will say, yeah, I'm ready. And mom will say, come here and let me look at you. <laughs> right? Make sure the buttons are straight, not misaligned, and the collar's not flipped up. And that's inspection. Mom says, come before me. Come before me and let me look. And God says, come before me. Walk before me so I can look at you and that you can be complete, that you can be made whole. That's what mom's saying, Right? so that you can be dressed right and properly. Even to the point when, you know, there's a little dirt on the cheek, you know what mom will do? She'll lick her thumb and get all that dirt off the cheeks. Okay, maybe a napkin. But we don't want our children going out in the world all mismatched and dressed and dirty, and we clean them up. And that's what God's saying. Come before me and be made perfect. Perfect. 
Be thou perfect. The word perfect there means complete. It means to be made whole or entire, without blemish and complete. And God says, I want you to come before me so that I can make you complete. I want to look at you and see where your flaws are and help you and give you grace and build you up. I want to clean you up from your sins and make you whole. God says, come before me. Well, how can we do this? Colossians 2 and verse 10, we have to start by coming before God and being clean. Just like the mother who cleans the cheeks off her child, the dirt off the cheeks. You are complete in him. We have to come before the Lord to be complete. Notice, you're complete in him, which is the head of all the principality and power in whom also you're circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the putting off of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you're risen with him through faith in the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh has he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses. <clears throat> we need to understand without Jesus, we're not complete. We're like the child that comes before mom and the buttons are misaligned. The collar's flipped up and the hair's got a cowlick standing up. We've got dirt on our face, and that's sin. And that's what we're like before God. And we need to come before him in Jesus Christ to be made complete, to be made whole. And God wants us to do that. God's not a God that says, okay, you're just dirty people. Get away from me and never come toward me. God says, come to me, and I'll make you clean. And he does that in Jesus. And notice he says that we're buried with him in baptism. A lot of people today teach that baptism is not necessary, that baptism is unimportant. It's just a sacrament of the church. And that you're saved in just having faith. Well, I believe you have to have faith. But I believe this is where your faith makes you complete. Notice, it says we're buried with him in baptism, wherein also you're risen him, with him through faith in the operation of God. Faith does save us but it's our faith in the operation of God that saves us. When we submit to God and let him clean us, he makes us complete. Notice as it goes on, who hath raised him from the dead and you being dead in your sins. Dead means separated from God by your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh has he quickened together with, with him, made you alive together with him. I go back to the prodigal son story and notice, if you'll remember, the father said this when the son came back, this was my son who was dead, who was dead, but now he's alive. What did the father mean by that? Did he mean that this person was so vile that he's just dead to me, I don't recognize him? No. What the father was saying, he's separated from me. That's what the prodigal son was. The prodigal son was separated from the father. And here, we were dead in our sins. What does that mean? It means we're separated from God. We don't have the blessings of the father's house anymore or 
If we haven't obeyed him, we, we, we really hadn't experienced those blessings. And he says, through this faith in the operation of God, then he quickens us together with him. He brings us back together, makes us alive with him. <clears throat> we were dead, but now we're alive. We're forgiven. <clears throat> Pardon me. We're for forgiven. So we must obey the gospel. You must be buried with him in baptism in order to be complete in Christ. God says, walk before me and be made complete or perfect. And the second thing is, as a child of God, we've got to continue to walk with God in his, in his ways. Notice in 2 Timothy 3, in verse 16, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. How can the Christian, the man of God, the person of God, how can we be perfect before God and remain that way? We've got to follow the, will, the word of God. That's what the scriptures are for. That we may be perfect because it gives us all that we need. It gives us doctrine. It gives us reproof. It tells us when we're wrong. It shows us how to fix the problem. And it shows us how to stay on the track and serve God and walk with him. And this is how we can be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so God, through his wisdom, God, through his mercy and grace, has made a way that we can, we can come before him and we can be made perfect. All our flaws can be, can be fixed. All our sins can be washed away. And then once we're in Christ Jesus, we can stay perfect or complete. Not that we won't ever make a mistake, but we'll be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We have his complete will before our eyes, and we can walk in those ways. So we can walk with God. We can walk after God. We can chase him. Not only can we, we ought to do that. That ought to be our attitude. And we can walk before him. We can come before God as our Father, and he wants, to, he wants to help us. He wants to straighten our buttons. He wants to cleanse us from our sins and wash the filth from our lives and make us whole and clean and keep us that way. If you're subject to the gospel call, the way to be complete in him is obedience. That's how you start. Through faith in the operation of God. If we can help you with that this morning, we want to ask you to come forward this morning and, and submit to your Lord and Savior. This morning, if you're a child of God, continue to be made perfect through the Scripture, the complete will of God. If we can help you in some way, come as we stand and sing the song that's been selected. <clears throat>